Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may upon this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, phobias, destruction, destruction, stagnancy, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on this place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed, you may be The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. You put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth and the topic with this place of scripture was given to us by our pastor the right to set aside our former way of life to be clothed in a new way of life and it is necessary to look at the fact that to set aside a former way of life and then to clothe our bodies in a new way of life is possible only when God gives us the right to use this power. Without the right which we receive from God, we cannot set aside and we cannot be clothed. Jesus was told by the Jews, who has given you this power to do that which you do? They understood that that which Jesus had done, behind this stood a power. And in order to do with this power, one needs to receive power from Yahweh to do this. And they underst and Jesus understood that this power is given to him by his Heavenly Father. Therefore, to set aside the former way of life of the old man, to renew our thinking and to clothe our bodies into a new way of life, for this it is necessary to receive a right. And this right can be received when a person cooperates his faith with the faith of God and fulfills the commandments of God. And so for the fulfillment of this commandment written in the letter of Apostle Paul and presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, there are three faithful, commanding, and foundational actions. This is to set aside, renew, and to clothe. From the fulfillment of these three faithful, commanding, and foundational requirements, will depend on whether we turn ourselves into the vessels of mercy or rather the vessels of wrath or rather will we perfect the perfection of our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed that yields the deposit of our justification and the salvation given to us 
which in these three actions are necessary to place into circulation the death of the Lord Jesus in order to gain it as a property in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will lose our justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit forever. And with regard to this, we stopped to study the 18th Psalm of David, which unveils the contents of a just prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Knowledge and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David to first love and call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised in order to be saved from his enemies. And for God, knowledge and proclamation of the power in his names in the heart of David gave the basis to use the powers of these capabilities and battle against the enemies of David. So practically, David, turning to these names, had wanted to demonstrate before God not his capability to overcome the enemies, but two things. Lord, I have loved you, and I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that you may help deliver me from my enemies. And when he, through observance of these commandments, called on God, God came to protect, to protect David from his enemies, from his enemies and from David's enemies. They had mutual enemies. Therefore, these names are not given, as we read from this context, are not given us to fight warfare, but for us to demonstrate our love to God first and foremost, and to call upon Him when we proclaim these names, so that He could, along with us, overcome our mutual enemies. And so, Psalms 18, verses 1-4. through 4, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength, or my rock in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And let us, as we have been taught from our apostle, together proclaim all of these eight virtues and names of God. And so all together, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these words and may He make them alive in our hearts, and may He make us immovable, firm in hope, awaiting for the salvation of our soul and the adoption of our body. These are specifically those words which Pastor has spoken this last Friday when we had proclaimed, I tried to remember them, it's very difficult because they're very filled. But after this proclamation, He had shared this beautiful phrase. Here it is in our notes, and now we have it written. And so, it is necessary for us, at least in short definitions, to remember the capabilities of the potential of every truth in the names of the Most High. And we will begin together from the first name, the Lord is my strength. And before us will be presented four classic questions. The first question, what characteristics of Scripture endow the strength of the name of God, Most High? Second. What purpose in our relationship with God are the powers contained in the strength of the name of God Most High intended to fulfill? Third, 
what conditions are necessary to fulfill to give God the basis to reveal the potential of his strength in battle with our enemies in the face of the old man with his works and Saul who searches to destroy us and forth by which signs should we test ourselves that in our heart abides the powers of the strength of God Most High. And we today will look at only the first question. You know, I had planned to go through this much quicker, but Pastor in the last sermons had said that we must go at such a speed so that first we can see the works of God which He does, and second, to be ready to collaborate our faith with His faith and immediately fulfill that which He speaks. That's why uh, a haste in this won't allow us to see the works of God that He is doing. Therefore, today we will look at only the first questions and we'll look at only the first question. And again, let's read this question, the question that we are going to study today. The first question, what characteristics does Scripture endow the strength of the name of God Most High? We are going to define today, Lord, You are my strength. In Scripture, the strength of the Most High is both one of the names of God and one of the unchanging characteristics of God. It's His name. His name always contains His characteristics. And those characteristics that He has, they are always magnified in His name. In Hebrew, the word strength, referring to God and His Word, contains such unearthly virtues. So, the strength of the name of God Most High is the constructive and contrite force of the words of the Most High. It's the power, might, and potential in the word of the Most High. It's the possibility of the Most High and the capability of the Most High. It's the truth of the Most High and the holiness of the Most High. It is the wealth of the Most High and the abundance of the Most High. It is the steadfastness and loyalty of the Most High to His word. It is the unbrokenness of the Most High and the beauty of the Most High. It is the immutability of the Most High in form, in quality, and in condition. All of these highlight the name of God's strength. Lord, you are my strength. And let us today look at a series of components that were presented in our in the sermons and notes of Pastor Arkady, and we will look at the first component that is going to define for us God as our strength, strength of the Most High. And so, first, the strength of the Most High is one of the glorious and mighty names of God that yields the natural characteristic of God and the quality and immutability of the word that comes from the mouth of God Most High. Titus 1, 2-3 In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So, through the preached word that was endowed to the Apostle, he says that God has promised and calls His name unchanging, unchanging in the word God. And here is hidden the strength of God Most High. The dignity of strength in the immutability of the Word of God is one of the glorious names of the Most High God in such a powerful and its unchanging nature, quality, form, and whose content cannot be changed, shaken, diminished, or crushed in any way. So this is the quality of God, strength. And He demonstrates 
this strength in His Word, in His unchanging Word, which He Himself has submitted to. It cannot be. He cannot be. It cannot be changed, shaken, diminished, or crushed in any way. Matthew 21 verses 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, "Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes." Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. In other words, whoever tries to try to diminish or change or crush the name of God's strength, he is going to either stumble on this truth or this revelation is going to grind him to powder. From the existing statement of falls of the strength of the name of God Most High, is designed to deprive hope of the salvation of those who, in their service to God, refuse to bear His fruit, and, re- and they will replace the fruits of their spirit with the ability to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is what is written here. He said to the Jews that the kingdom of heaven will be taken from you and is going to be given to a different people. What kind of people, they say? The Lord, that the nation that brings fruit. But you are going to be broken against the strength of my word. Let us take a look at how this mercy in the format of the name of God, strength, is taken from people who refuse to offer fruit and who exchange the fruit of their spirit for the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? They turn to God. Now take a look at how God responds. God, who is the Lord of strength, how He responds. He says, Then I, the God's strength, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were broken against this truth, and this truth grinded them. Why? Because they wanted to exchange the fruit of their spirit for the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, whoever, for people who bring God His fruits, even with all their temporary impermanence and hesitation, God, in the strength of His powerful and glorious Word, remains for them unchanging. Second Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Take a look here. For these people, God as a strength shows faithfulness. He says that that person he stumbles in his life, although he strives to offer fruits, and he does not exchange offering fruit of the Spirit for exercise of the gifts. Scripture says that for this person, although he might be faithless, God remains faithful to him. This was the first component. What have we been able to learn from this? That God, uncovering his powers, the name of God's strength, he has shown for us that he is unchanging in his word. And this word of God 
opens to us the potential of the strength of God is called to protect us from our enemies. We need to call out to God, Lord, you are my strength, protect me from my enemies. We must understand that as soon as we change our priorities and as soon as we focus on exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit rather than focus on offering fruit, what does God do? He uses this very same strength and power of His Word. He uses it against us. We are not going to be able to change Him, diminish the strength of God Most High. He remains God, God of strength. And we have a decision. Either we collaborate with God or strength, or this strength, um, this strength breaks us. We make a decision for this strength to protect us from our enemies. Therefore, we made a decision to offer fruit to the Lord. And this was the first definition. The second, the strength of the name of God Most High is contained in the names of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to this, possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. This is how the anointed man of God turns to the people of Israel, that they remember that it is not due to their righteousness that God gives them the promised land because they were a stiff people, but only due to the wickedness of the nations that filled the land of Canaan, the future land of Israel, of whom God says, this is good, this is the good land. And therefore, in all scriptures, under the image of the promised land, one can see the image of the earthly body of a man redeemed by God. The image of the wicked nations and the stiff-necked people who live on this good land, or in the redeemed body of a man, is reigning sin, and the old man with his works, behind which are the organized forces of darkness. The promise that gives the legal right to drive out reigning sin from our earthly body to free us from the law of sin and death is given by God in the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, which is not children born of the flesh, but children who were born of the Spirit. Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. It's important to note here that before the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they knew the name of God Almighty with whom God was revealed to Abraham. But in order to bring Israel out of Egypt with a high and exalted hand and bring them into the promised land, God was revealed to the people of Israel in the name Jehovah or Yahweh. One of the many meanings contained in the name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh, means the Lamb or the Redeemer. His atonement prepared for His children and contained in the name of Yahweh 
God concluded in the names of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus 3, 13-15 Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Therefore, when God from the pages of Scripture says to the people of Israel, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, this, for descendants born by promise, means that I am the God of your spirit, the God of your soul, and the God of your body. It talks about full salvation. And in order to inherit the promise given by God to the redeemed body of a person, it is necessary to have an organized partaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as our fathers through Jesus Christ do. And again, in order for us to have an organized partaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we need to do this through Jesus Christ, who is the true Jew. And of course, the ultimate goal of the Oath of the Covenant in which God swore Himself is to give us the heritage of the Gentiles, the dignity of the land of Canaan as an eternal possession. And such an eternal possession, the Promised Land, are our earthly bodies freed from the law of sin and death by the power of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Genesis chapter 17, verses 6-8 through 8. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, take a look. The second component, God has hidden his name, strength in his unchanging covenant, the covenant which he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we heard, this covenant, it is unique in that in these three names, God hid full salvation for a Christian. And therefore, as we who are believers from the Gentiles have a right to receive salvation of our spirit, salvation of our mortal soul and the adoption of our decaying bodies only would we have an organized partaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is given to us only through Jesus Christ, the true Jew. And through Him, we receive an organized partaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How are we immersed in the Lord Jesus? Through death. When we are immersed in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, we make a covenant of blood, salt, and rest. And this allows us to have an organized partaking to God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, through which we receive access to salvation to our spirit, soul, and our body. When we are immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus, 
we make a covenant there. This allows Jesus Christ to unite us with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What God swore to them, telling them, I swear to you that I will give you the land as an eternal inheritance. And we receive this through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessing and the covenant which God has made in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this was the second component where God showed His strength, that His strength is where? In the covenant. Third, the strength of the name of God Most High is yielded in Scripture as a double garments of a virtuous wife. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12 and 25. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Strength and beauty are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for her household is clothed in double garments. Strength and beauty are her clothing. Strength and beauty are her clothing, or double garments. She shall rejoice in time to come. In this allegory, the unearthly strength of the Most High is defined in a person as unearthly beauty, presented in the dignity of double garments. This was the linen trousers to cover nakedness and reach from the waist to the thighs, which is an image of justification. Let us take a look at where we see these linen trou- trousers that cover our body from nakedness, which is an image of our justification. Exodus 28, 42-43, You shall make for them, to who? To the priests, so that they can go into the presence of God in the status of a prophet and priest. And to have a dignity of a king, it's necessary to begin with these linen trousers, with this justification. You shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. If we come to God without justification, we might die, or our prayer is going to be destroyed. How important it is to have these undergarments, these linen trousers that cover our nakedness, this justification that we have before God. Adam, when he hid himself, he covered himself with leaves, and he told the priests, do not dare to come before me in leaves. Do not dare to replace fruit of the Spirit, with exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you come to me, come with the blood of the Lord Jesus and proclaim who God is for you, what God has done for you through His Son. Thus we cover our nakedness with justification, with these linen trousers or with these undergarments, this under linen. And the fine linen to which the breastplate of judgment was attached, in the book of the Revelation of John, it is written, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. So these are then garments that were put on the outside and represented now righteousness. Thus, here we see with the image of justification and righteousness. Now let's uh, define in short definitions what is justification and what is righteousness. The undergarments and the outer garments. 
Justification is that which covers our body, our nakedness. Justification is eternal and unquestioning redemption, the ransom of man from the captivity of sin and death, abolition of guilt or the non-imputation of sin to man, the resurrection of a man from the dead in Christ Jesus, making a person the property and portion of God, adoption of a person in Christ Jesus, restoration of man in the rights to eternal life in God. And this is justification. This is that garment that covers our body. Now, let's look at the outer garment, righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is hope and trust in God. It is the presence of a meek and quiet spirit. It is belief that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It is peace with God based on a covenant with God. It is the consecration of our dedication. It is observation of the justice of God. It is a manifestation of holiness in the commission of justice. It is expression of the heart's atmosphere in immaculate joy. It is fellowship with each other in our assembly. It is an offering of praise to God. It is revering God with tithes and offerings, and it is an indication of virtue in our faith. Based on the above, if our justification in the dignity of linen trousers turned into a format of righteousness, in the dignity of fine linen, pure and bright, then we receive the ability to make linen garments and sell them and supply sashes for the Phoenician merchants. And this is written in Proverbs 31, 24. Again, we are talking about this most beautiful of women. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the Phoenician merchants. When does she do this? She does this when she demonstrated justification and righteousness. And when justification moves on to the dignity of righteousness, when we receive this opportunity to make, sell, and supply. To make and sell linen garments as well as supply sashes for the Phoenician merchants means to proclaim the faith of our heart that contains the kingdom of heaven in it, that came to us in the power of a revelation of the Holy Spirit who dwells in our heart as Master. With regard to this, we should pay attention to three actions that serve as the conditions for preparing garments and sashes, which are the powers of the strength of the name of God Most High that abides in our new man. This is to make garments, sell garments, and to supply garments. And so in order to make, sell, and supply, let's talk about what garments are and what the sashes are. And now we'll talk about, then we'll talk about how to make them, sell them, and to how to supply the garments. So what is a garment? A garment is an image defining the limits of our portion, which is presented in a theocratical order that yields the kingdom of heaven in the hearts of God's chosen remnants. Psalm 68, 13. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. In the lot of our inheritance, which is the order of God in the hearts of those who fear God, there is strict hierarchical subordination present, in which saints voluntarily and with joy accept the authority of the person who is given the powers of the fatherhood of God. And this, these are the garments, the garments that were present in the possession of the most beautiful woman. What are sashes? Sashes is the truth presented in the commanding teaching of Christ 
through the preached word of the messengers of God, which we must gird the loins of our mind with. And so first we receive garments, we acknowledge the divine order in that person whom God has given to us and sent to us, and then after this we receive the right to gain sashes. This is then the truth that we hear in the dignity of the reigning teaching with which we gird the loins of our mind. These were the garments and the sashes. To gird the loins of our mind with truth is to make our carnal mind dependent on the mind of our new man. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And how can we do this? We can do this only by girding the loins of our mind. And in order to gird, it is necessary to have these sashes. Very interesting. We need to have these sashes, and these sashes can be received only when we have divine garments. And divine garments gives us the right to have divine sashes, and when we have sashes, we are able to gird the loins of our mind. And now, what does it mean to make garments, to sell them? Uh, there are three actions after which we know that I am found under the shadow of God, I am given a sash, now I need to be able to make these garments. To make garments is to produce something, prepare, transmit, to commit, execute, to engage in, to work, and to arrange. This is what it means to make garments. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1-5 through 5, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this word, build yourselves into a holy place, and this means to make garments in your heart. What does it mean to sell garments? This is not in relation to someone. This is all of this occurs in our heart. We make these garments in our heart. We prepare ourselves, Lord, build me into a spiritual place in a holy dwelling so that I can offer you spiritual sacrifices. And for this, it is necessary not just to make garments, but to learn to sell garments. To sell garments is to be sold to slavery and to righteousness, to bring ourselves as a gift to God as a living and a holy sacrifice. Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Here we see that we can learn to sell garments. We do what? We sell ourselves into slavery, unto righteousness, that we can offer God a sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. And third, to supply sashes. This is what the most beautiful woman does. She makes the garments. She sells these garments. 
and then third she supplies sashes to supply sashes is to lay a burden of weight and responsibility to empower with authority over the minds of saints to grow them into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and gentle in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The double garments of the woman and three actions to make, to sell, and to supply is from beginning to end the work of the Most High. Without the Most High, without the God our strength, we cannot do any of this. Psalms 111.3 His work is beautiful and glorious, and His righteousness endures forever. So, an interesting component where the Lord presents for us strength in the format of double garments and the presence of these double garments justification and righteousness in our hearts allows us to make garments sell garments and to supply sashes fourth I will remind you that we are talking about how or what is the strength of the name of God most high this we this as we proclaimed at the beginning of service, Lord, you are my strength. And so this fourth point, the strength of the name of God most high is contained in a fruitful land, able to grow fruit of righteousness, which is the tree of life in the spirit of a person who was born from the seed of the word of truth. Psalms chapter 60 verses 4 through 12, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in His holiness. I'll rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. He is the strength of my head. Ephraim, the name of God's strength. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Felicia, shout in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go with our armies? Give us help from trouble. For the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Take a look at how David calls upon the name of God's strength. He calls the name of God's strength, as we first read, so that I can enact your name, Lord, you are my strength. I need to demonstrate my love toward you, my love toward you, and then to call upon you. And when the Lord comes, he is then going to fulfill along with us. Without him, David did not want to do any of this. And so in this allegory, David, in the dignity of a warrior of prayer, makes a petition to God for the category of people who fear God, that he send them help in the war against the Moabites, Edomites, and the Philistines. These three enemies against which we must use the name of God's strength. And let us take a look very quickly who are the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Philistines. The Moabites are the descendants of Lot, or the image of the emotional sphere of our soul. 
Edomites are the descendants of Esau, who are the image of the stiff-necked will of our soul. And the Philistines are the descendants of Mizraim, the son of Ham, who settled in the Promised Land before Abraham came. The Philistines merged in the Promised Land with the Canaanites, who were also descendants of Ham. They are the image of the wicked thoughts of our soul. Therefore, before the Promised Land became known as the Land of Israel, it was called the Land of Canaan, because of the Canaanites living in this land, or Palestine, because of the Philistines living in this land. In the basis of the existing promise is a strength of the name of the Most High God contained in the dignity of the name Ephraim, which is dissolved in other names of God and is the motive of all other names and actions that produce these names. And so the name Ephraim, of which it is said, Ephraim, you are the strength of my head or the helmet of my head. In order to overcome, it was necessary for David to proclaim the name Ephraim because God in Ephraim hid his strength, his strength against the enemies. What kind of enemies? The Moabites, the emotional sphere, the Edomites, the stiffness of the will of our soul and the Philistines, the wicked thoughts. Against these enemies, we must turn to God with the name Ephraim. The name Ephraim means fertile land. This is the son of Joseph. From the meaning of the name Ephraim, it follows that at the foundation of the promise containing in itself, the strength of the name of Most High God is the fertile land called and capable of producing the fruit of the Spirit. Thus, the protection of people who fear God, the strength of the name of God Most High from unholy thoughts and from the emotional and voluntary sphere of the soul behind which the power of our old man stands is designed to be realized through the strength of the name of Ephraim in the image of the fruit of their lips that reveal the faith of their heart. Proverbs 11, 30-31 The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? In this case, one should pay attention to the way in which the fruit of our lips, representing the faith of our heart, is intended to express the strength of the name of God Most High. Psalm 68, 36 O God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is He who gives strength and power to His people. Blessed be God. This place of Scripture proves the truth that God is awesome in His sanctuary, because out of His sanctuary God gives power and strength to His nation. This sanctuary is the heart of a person that is cleansed from dead works in which truth is sealed in the virtue of the commanding teaching of Christ. Celebration and fear, inspiring awe and trembling, emanating from God Almighty in His sanctuary, give God the foundation with a noise to spew out of our earthly body the power of sin and death and in its place build up the power of eternal life. Take a look. In this component, we were met with another interesting characteristics which God contained in the name Ephraim, fertile land. It turns out that if our heart is going to coincide to this quality Ephraim, this fertile land, a land that does what is cleansed of dead works, 
upon which is written the teaching of the Lord Jesus, the sworn promises, in which, when all of this had happened, it is fertile, it is cleansed, and in it has been planted the Word of God. It offers fruit, and it becomes uh, an awful sanctuary for our enemy. That is what our enemies fear, the Moabites, Edomites, and the Philistines. They fear the mystery that is contained in the name Ephraim, fertile land. Ephraim is our heart that is prepared, cleansed of dead works, and which is the teaching of Christ. And God closes it and says, this is my sanctuary. And awesome is God in this sanctuary. When we proclaim the authority of God against all of our enemies, which brings them to trembling, and they turn to run. Take a look at how God reveals this here. Ephraim helps us here, a fruit, fertile land, of which God has said that this is my strength, that our strength is found in our heart. The strength of God is found in our heart, in which is the faith of God, and our lips that proclaim God. And when we proclaim the faith of our heart, we need to agree with Psalms, this Psalm. Awesome are you, God, in your sanctuary. Psalm 60. If there is no truth in this heart and we do not proclaim the faith of our heart because we don't have Ephraim, this fertile land in which has been sown the seed of the tree of life that has offered the fruit of righteousness through our meek lips, then God is awesome. Then God cannot reveal himself to our enemies through our proclamations. And this is the fourth truth, the fifth one. The fifth concluding truth, the strength of the name of God Most High is presented in the neck of the most beautiful of women, which delights God. Songs of Solomon 7.5 Your neck is like an ivory tower. This is the definition that the Lord gives to His church, His chosen remnant. Your neck is like an ivory tower. The neck of a person is an image of His will, which may be found in God and delight Him, if it is made out of ivory, outside of God it is stiff, which can cause the wrath of God. Nehemiah 9, 13-17 You came down also on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go to go in to possess the land which he had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. We see here, that talking about the church, the chosen remnant of God, God delights in the neck of His chosen remnant, but the neck that was against God brought God to anger against Israel. Stiff, hardened, stiff nature. First, according to this place of Scripture, the Most High, reflecting the strength of His name in the neck of His Beloved, presented in the dignity of a tower made out of ivory, wanted to demonstrate the excellence of his beloved before those who called him their father, but kept their necks stiff. And secondly, if a person has a neck that will have the dignity of a tower made out of ivory, 
he can master the good land of his body in order to destroy the power of death in the face of the wicked nations who occupy this good land. So, if our neck is going to be like this tower made out of ivory, then we can master or have or govern the good land. This promise that relates to the door of our hope will be ours. And let us quickly take a look at what Pastor uh, tells us about elephants. Given that the neck is made out of ivory tower, ivory, ivory are um, tusks. Elephants are herd animals with a high hierarchical level of relationships headed by an individual female. In other words, in a herd of elephants, a matriarch reigns. The female makes decisions, while the males, having great potential, help her to implement these decisions. Male tusks Male tusks are longer than those of females and reach a length of one meter to one and a half meters. The length of the tusks is a genetically inherited trait. The tusks of an elephant grow all their lives and are an indicator of their age, for us, spiritual age. The strength of an ivory tusk alludes to the unbroken bone of the second Adam, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, from which Eve, or rather the church, was made, of which was told, John 19.36, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken, in Psalms 34.20-21. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Considering the meaning of the strength of two tusks, we are talking about elephants, it is on one hand a strength that occurs from the cooperation of our will, the neck of the most beautiful of women, with our renewed thinking. Two tusks is a collaboration of our will and our renewed thinking in which our will in the subject of our neck is in submission, is in the submission to our mind. This is clearly seen in the question asked by the Most High to Job in order to show him the strength of his name. Job 39.19 Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with a mane? So here, Pastor offers us two elephant tusks, the will of a person and his renewed thinking, to see it and view it in the neck and the mane of a horse we are talking about one and the same thing this horse is referring to job himself and every person who is blameless before god whom god boasts about before his opponent satan the strength of the horse contained in its neck is referring to the will of a blameless person that is like an ivory tusk and the mane that clothes the neck of a horse and serves as its protection is referring to the thinking of a blameless person that is renewed with the spirit of his mind, which is the mind of Christ in his spirit. So, here we see two tusks, again for us, were presented in a different image, in the image of a horse. His neck is the will of a blameless person, and his beautiful mane is then our thinking. The th thinking in the mane that covered the head of the horse is the mind of Christ that is present not just in our spirit but also in our thinking. Take a look at how important these two components are. When I read it, it turns out that the will is extremely important and God depends on it. And let us take a look at the neck and the horse. 
uh, we will go back to the tusks which illustrate for us to the will of a blameless person and his renewed thinking. The tusk which is responsible for the action of reasoning in the image of the renewed thinking will be longer and heavier than the tusk in the form of our will which is responsible for bringing this reason to action. So when you see elephants, uh, especially the male elephants, they have one tusk larger than the other, and this is the one that works. This is the one that uh, usually brings, uh, that usually lifts things. The large tusk that represents our reasoning or renewed thinking, and the smaller one, uh, our will, that is necessary for this renewed thinking. And proceeding from this, it should be noted that the neck of the Beloved, likened to ivory, does not belong to itself, since it depends on the head of the Beloved, who through the reasoning of Christ uses her will to fulfill the will of God. The reasoning of Christ, in the reasoning of Christ, we must use our will to fulfill the will of God. Beautifully written. These two tusks, take a look, saints. If you are asked, what must be done in order to fulfill the will of God? We need to, through the reasoning or the mind of Christ, to enact our will in order to, to fulfill the will of God. Not just the rational capabilities of our renewed thinking, but without our will, we cannot fulfill the will of God. Let's remember that reasoning in relation to what our enlightened mind can do through the engagement of the sphere of our will, in Hebrew means 12 definitions, 12 definitions of our capability to reason. It is to be open to truth, to search for knowledge in God, to test the source of information, to meditate on what is heavenly, love God with our understanding, be united in thoughts with saints, make conclusions, make decisions, plan, guide or control, sing and pray, change or be renewed. So here is the ability to reason, and it is reasoning in which is presented another small tusk. This can be done through applying the will of a blameless person. The will is extremely important here. He delights in the neck of the most beautiful woman, saying that it is a tower made of ivory, and this neck is the will, the will that is important to God. We can make a conclusion that the image of a tower out of ivory that is likened to the neck of the most beautiful woman is an image of a blameless person who has an organized partaking to the body of Christ. Without an organized partaking to the body of Christ, our neck and the subject of our will remain stiff and will never be like a tower out of ivory. Thanks to the fact that we are found in the church in the order of God, then our neck can be like the neck of the most beautiful of women. The fact that we are already here, this means that our neck is is not stiff. It is likened to this tower, tower made out of ivory. Songs of Solomon 4.4 your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. It is necessary for us to turn and to look at the strength of God Most High in the neck of His Beloved that is like a tower made out of ivory, and here it is presented in the Tower of David. Here He says that she has a tower made out of ivory, and this says that this is the Tower of David. And what is this tower? Built for an armory. What kind of armory? A thousand bucklers. What kind of sh bucklers or shields? All shields of mighty men. We are moving forward 
and looking at our will, how important it is. This neck of the most beautiful of woman made out of an made out of ivory. Here it is presented in the Tower of David, built for an armory. What purpose is the strength of the name of the Most High called to fulfill in the neck of his beloved that is like a tower made out of ivory? Or a tower of David. Based on the fact that God is most worried about and attracted to the neck of a person that coincides with the tower of David on which hang a thousand bucklers, it will be necessary to examine the neck of a blameless person and the characteristics of a kind of tower that is relevant to David. According to the allegories of Scripture, we find that the purpose of the mysterious tower of King David made of ivory is to be a carrier of bucklers or shields made out of pure hammered gold. First Chronicles 18.7 And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Take a look, these golden shields that he had hung on his tower, the Tower of David. Who was Hadadezer? From whom he took the shields. Hadadezer is the Aramaic king of Suva of Mesopotamia. The Arameans are Syrians who are descended from Aram, the son of Shem. In this manner, Hadadezer, the Aramaic king of Suva of Mesopotamia, and David, king of Israel, descended from the same root, and both were Semites those that came from Shem. This is the quality of our soul and our spirit, if we look at it. They come from the Shemites. Our spirit and our soul come from Shemites. But they are at war with one another. They are at war. The name of the royal city Suva, in which Hadadezer rules, comes from the root Owl, According to the law, it is an unclean bird from the category of prey that sees well even in thick twilight. From which we can conclude that symbolic golden shields, symbolizing the truth about the blood of Christ, were unlawfully used by Hadadezer for the interests of the flesh. From which we conclude that Hadadezer is an image of the rational sphere of our soul that does not carry the mark of the cross of Christ, which symbolically represents the interests of the flesh and tries to use the power of the blood of Christ in the subject of golden shields for the protection of the flesh from the interests of the spirit. Take a look here. He had used the blood of Christ in order to protect his flesh from the interests of the spirit. And this is very dangerous. For Hadadezer, our soul, to not do this, because we take golden shields and using the power of the blood of Christ that which we must die to becomes alive for us. We must die to my house, and all of a sudden my house lives for me, and I begin to protect my home, that I begin to protect my nation. That completely goes against the truth of God, does not accept it. We protect it by taking these golden shields, by protecting our flesh, by protecting our spirit. Whereas David, whose name the neck of the beloved that was like a tower of ivory was called, is an image of the sphere of reasoning of the new man who relies on the power of the blood of Christ and the subject of golden shields for the protection of the spirit from the unlawful encroachment of the flesh. Take a look at how David had used the shield that was placed in his armory. He says that 
this king had a desert with his shields. This is the will of a person where he protects his spirit from the unlawful encroachment of the flesh. Considering this meaning, the image of a neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is a demonstration of the collaboration of our will with our mind or the faith of our heart which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. And Pastor offers for us seven definitions through which we can see the image of a neck that is likened to golden shields. First, the image of a neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is a demonstration of dignity expressed and remain wrong, faithful to one's place or calling. Revelation 3, 7-12 through 12. Right now we are looking at, do we have in our heart the tower of David upon which hang the shields? Do we have it? Can we define it? Where is this tower hidden? These things says he who is holy and who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, it will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, it will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Hold this golden shield, don't take it back to Hadadezer, hold it. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Second, the image of a neck likened to David's tower, made of ivory, is evidence of our organized tie to Christ, expressed in the heavens of our heart in a bright and morning star. Revelation 22:16. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Those that have the tower of David on which hang the golden shields, they will have a right to the bright and morning star. Third, the image of the neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is evidence of our belonging to the house of God, which is the church of the living God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Furthermore, fourth, the image of a neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is evidence of our ability and power to observe our ways. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 27. I have set you as a tower and a fortress among my people, that you may know and test their way. And how does this occur? When I have a person whom God has established, and I have the simplicity of a dove to accept all of that which God says through His divine source and to reject all of that which comes from other sources other preachers, televisions, internet, and so forth. Through this we talk about, from this we see the simplicity in us. 5. The image of a neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is the evidence and guarantee of our protection. Proverbs 18.11 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. 6. 
The image of a neck likened to David's tower made out of ivory is evidence of the dominion of our heartfelt faith that is proclaimed by our lips. Micah 4, 8 And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Here she is called the tower of the flock. Disciples, flock, who are disciples. Seventh, image of a neck likened to David's tower made of ivory is a demonstration of our ability to deny evil and our ability to choose good. Songs of Solomon 7, 4 Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Beth-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. The meaning of Scripture places in the thousand bucklers made of pure gold which hang in the Tower of David are the shields of our faith which cooperate with the faith of God. These shields are our faith that can cooperate with the faith of God. Ephesians 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith to take the shield of faith is to take from Hadadezar the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Why were there a thousand of these shields? The number 1,000 is an image of the completeness and perfection inherent to the perfection of the Heavenly Father, which are expressed in His selective love, which can shine with His Son on the just and on the unjust and pour out the rain on the just and on the unjust. The golden shield and the subject of weapons with which God Almighty demonstrates the strength, the strength of His name for people who are righteous and unjust are contained in the teaching of the blood of Christ and teaching on the cross of Christ. The golden shield of the faith of God made of pure and hammered gold can be found on our neck only when our neck in the subject of our will is likened to an ivory tower. And for this purpose, it is necessary that this person, by the teachings contained in the truth of the cross of Christ, be separated from his people, his home, and his carnal desires to gain the ability to live for the one who died and rose. It follows that the price for the right to be built into a tower of David, likened to ivory or to the throne of Solomon, constructed from ivory, consists in the fulfillment of two conditions. First, it is necessary to be born of the preached word of truth and make a covenant with God in the baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, in order to be empowered by the power of the teaching of the resurrection from the dead, to be born of water from the Spirit into the throne. And secondly, it is necessary through instruction and faith to present our body as a living, holy, God-pleasing sacrifice for reasonable service in order to know the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. And this means allowing God with the cross of the Lord Jesus to shake all spheres of our soul, and in particular our neck, in the form of our will, which by its nature is stiff. This is not an easy process. And this is how this process is described in the book of Job. Job 16, 12. Take a look at how our neck can be made a tower of David. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. 
He has set me up for his target. Take a look. What kind of process so that this stiffness could be removed from man? He says, He has shattered me and he has set me up for his target. For what? So that this neck could become a tower made of ivory upon which could hang the faith of God. And God is astonished by our will here, that is, in a blameless and a renewed person. And finally, according to what sign should we test ourselves to see that we have the strength of the name of the Most High in our neck, like an ivory tower? Several signs, and we will conclude. The first sign that our will recognize the power of the mind of Christ, which belongs to our new man, will be the chain on our neck. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 11. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists, and a chain on your neck. Take a look at how he prepares the bride to meet the groom. Take a look at how he prepares. The Holy Spirit adorns with ornaments, put bracelets and a chain on the neck when we see where he says that when he puts a chain, this means that the will is a very important substance. And if we have a stiff will, and if our neck is not a tower of David upon which hang a thousand shields, then upon this neck cannot be placed a chain. And we must be adorned in wedding garments. And it's not just to uh, put on pure linen, clean and bright, but also a chain on the neck. On that will that cooperates with the will of God. The next sign that our will has recognized the power of the mind of Christ, which belongs to our new man, will be the yoke laid by God on our fair neck, and we will be able to pray for wheat, plow, and harrow the earth. Isaiah 10, 11-12 Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I've harnessed her fair neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So when the Lord comes and rains righteousness, I must be prepared for what? And how do I do this? I need to have a fair neck. And here it talks about how Judah shall plow and Jacob will break his clods. That our spirit is going to use our soul in the format of our will. And our will is very important because it is going to be able to prepare our will, this Ephraim. It is going to be able to prepare our heart so that the latter rain can come and the righteousness of God can bring its fruit. How important this is. The next sign that our will has recognized over itself the power of the mind of Christ, which belongs to our new man, will be that God will open a source to the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 1-9 through In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. 
I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, Whoever says, uh, what does it mean to say, I am not a prophet? I will no longer define the truth on my own. I will no longer say, this is good and this is evil. I am not a prophet. I am going to focus on one thing, to prepare the soul of my, of my heart to accept the word of God. And each will say, this chosen remnant will say, I am not a prophet, my intellect is not a prophet. I must till the land and I must prepare it for the word. Because I am no prophet, I am a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? And he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, this is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. Who is going to say this? Only those who will say, I am no prophet, I am a farmer. I am not, pro not a prophet, I am a farmer. My job is to come to church to with a prepared land that prophet is in the church. And we must understand that our intellect, our understandings are not prophets. I am not a prophet, I am a farmer. What blessing it is for us. And therefore, the Lord has shown us how we were able to define the name of God's strength. Therefore, we say, Lord, you are my strength. And from which pastor began, he said that pastor shows that he is unchanging in his word. His unchanging is second. He showed in his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where the Lord said, I want to save my spirit, soul, and I want to save your spirit, soul, and body. And how does this happen? This happens when we uh, discover in our heart Ephraim, who prepares our land, makes it fertile. There we see the virtuous wife that clothes us in these double garments in righteousness and justification. And we, from the position of a sanctuary, call upon the awesome God for our enemies, and in this manner we are saved from all of our enemies. And this is what God does, or strength, about whom we heard today. Let us pray. May you be blessed in your prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you once again for the opportunity and for the great privilege that is given for us to be in this place upon which we can worship your holy name. And once again, remember and ponder and look into, look into those commandments and those words which you have spoken and that you have written for us. We thank you for these precious truths. We thank you, Lord, that today you reveal to us that you are our God's strength. You are the God of our strength, and we come to you, and we call upon you, Lord. Lord, in this name we want to demonstrate that we love you, and that we call upon you, Lord, so that you can demonstrate yourself as strong and mighty over all of our enemies, that you can show yourself strong over our emotions, our 
human will, so that you can show yourself as strong and mighty over all the Canaanite and Philistine peoples and those evil thoughts, so that you can show yourself as mighty. Show yourself as mighty. We call upon you, Lord, and we know that only you, Lord, are going to be able to perfect this work. And we call upon you, Lord, that you can deliver us from our enemies and so that the power of death in the face of the old man could be overthrown and in its place could reign the resurrection of Christ, the power of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for this great right to take off the old man to set aside the former way of life of the old man that grows corrupts in its deceitful lusts. And for this, Lord, we have made the decision to reject all evil and accept all good, to reject ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow you, follow after the Lord and fulfiller of our faith. We have decided to make the decision to reject all gods and idols that were present in the former way of life so that we can serve the one God. We have made the decision, Lord, to accept the preached word that could save our souls. And we leave all this for your holy name, that you can come in your power and fulfill your great victory in the essence of our body. We thank you, Lord, that we were taught your word we thank you for the capability to accept and to understand the Holy Spirit in the preached words in our spirit. When we accept the word and when we keep it on the golden table of showbreads and also allow us, Lord, through understanding and reasoning to be taught to understand our spirit and our mind. When we begin to understand your truths, you begin to uncover your truth to us and your commandments. You allow us to take the breads off this golden table of showbreads and eat of it in the Sabbath. We thank you that you place your breads in the Sabbath and you take off the breads in the Sabbath. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us the Sabbath and you give us understanding through the Sabbath. We refuse, Lord, we refuse our fleshly mind to try to understand your revelations because no revelations were ever uttered according to the will of man. They have been spoken by the men of God who have been led by the Holy Spirit and you today have given us this person led by the Holy Spirit who is able to teach us your truth. Therefore, Lord, we thank you for that revelation that we had today. And we ask you, may the revelation be given to our pastor, brother Arkady. And we, Lord, on our end, through the powers of the name which you have contained in the patriarch Ephraim, want to proclaim that we are not prophets, that our intellect, our mind is not a prophet. We are farmers. We have come to this place, Lord, with soil that is prepared. And we ask you, we pray to you regarding these latter rains which you have given and that are already being poured out on this good land, that it could offer fruit of righteousness, 
and so that the tree of life could offer fruit, and so that we, Lord, could proclaim from the position of a sanctuary, and so that you can stand before our enemies as an awesome God, all-fearing God. Therefore, Lord, stand in your sanctuary, and may all of our enemies be scattered. May they be. Bro- may all of your enemies be broken. Our enemies are your enemies, and your enemies are our enemies. We thank you for the powers of your holiness, where we demonstrate holy love, agape, not tolerant, but holy. And first and foremost, Lord, we refuse to show tolerance towards our soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, we take all the powers of our soul and Hadadezar, who tried to use the powers of the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ against the Spirit in order to save our soul. We refuse, and we today, in the death of the Lord Jesus, dying to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires, we take the shields from Him, and we place them on the Tower of David, and we ask you, Lord, to see to see that your church has this tower made of ivory tusk on which hang a thousand shields, strong shields, and so that you can adorn our neck with your chain. We thank you that we today, through the proclamation of the faith of our heart, are being clothed into the new man, created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the garments of salvation. We thank you for the linen clean and bright. We thank you for the righteousness of saints. We thank you, Lord, for the bridal wedding garments, for the ornaments of the bride and the crown of the groom. We thank you for the right to represent the representative power of Yahweh of hosts. And we today, through the proclamation of our faith, are being clothed, and we proclaim these powers against all of your enemies and all of our enemies. May your anger May your all-consuming anger be turned against your enemies and may they be devoured by your holiness in the essence of our body as in your church. We call upon you in your severity and in your holiness and we thank you, Lord, that before you come, you have allowed us to be found under the shadow of your mercy. We thank you for those garments that you have given us and for those sashes that we today are girded with. We thank you, Lord. We are found under the shadow of your temple, under the shadow of your mercy. And having been found in this mercy, we, along with you, proclaim your holiness. And we ask you, Lord, to satisfy your holiness on the earth. We call upon you, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we call you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you can satisfy your holiness in the temple of our body, that you can satisfy your holiness in the temple of your body, in the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the church of God. Satisfy, Lord, your holiness. We ask you, Lord, for you to come in your holiness and to devour the earth and to devour the wicked in your holiness. We call upon you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, to satisfy your holiness on the earth. And may the wicked be devoured, and may he be prepared when he comes out so that he can be devoured by the 
power of the lips of the Lord Most High. We thank you for this revelation and we call upon you. We are not fearful of your holiness because you are your pe- we are your people, we are your children, we have been born from the Holy God. And we thank you, Lord, that we today are able to be clothed in the divine justification and cover our bodies, keeping it from your anger. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has died and who has risen for our justification. We thank you for the justification that is given as a gift of grace. We thank you for the garments of righteousness, that the righteous can practice righteousness and the holy can be holy still until the day of your coming. Blessed is your name, Lord, no matter your holy sanctuary. We thank you. And we magnify you, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.